several years ago. It's a little girl in England by the name of Josie Cavan, who was born profoundly deaf. Growing up, she often felt isolated because of her inability to hear, but that changed after receiving a cochlear implant during Christmas season one year. At the age of 12, she heard clearly for the first time. Can you imagine? The first sound that she heard was the song Jingle Bells coming from the radio. Was her hearing restored? Yes, completely. Was she hearing well immediately? No, not exactly. Her mother said that there were many new sounds that she had to learn. She would ask things like, was that a door closing? Or ask about the the humming sound that she heard in, in her room. Not understanding that the light made this light buzzing sound when it was on. She even learned what her name sounded like because at first, as she was learning to hear new sounds, she could not hear the soft S sound in the middle of her name. Her mom said, you know, seeing her face light up as she hears everything around her is all that I could have wished for Christmas. Josie's hearing was restored, but that, that restoration introduced to her this new daily adventure of learning to distinguish each new sound in the hearing world. I was struck by the truth that that story communicates about her, her hearing being completely restored, but, but before she could hear well... There were sounds that she needed to learn, and I thought, that is similar to God's love for us and our response to his love. You know, the scripture is clear that before the love and grace of God touched our lives, we were were far from him. We were sinful people. We were broken. And though we were created to live in this relationship of intimacy with the one who made us for himself, Scripture teaches that our sin had broken any possibility that that could happen until God, in his great love, there's that word, stepped in and provided a way for that relationship to be restored. And, And here's the truth. The restoration of that relationship in Christ... It was complete. In theological circles, it is sometimes referred to as the sufficiency of Christ. Nothing else was needed to make that relationship whole. Sufficiency means a completeness, not lacking anything. There is nothing else that is needed apart from all that God has provided for us to live in an intimate relationship with him. Just like Josie's hearing was completely restored, so Christ in his love for us expressed through his death and resurrection completely restored us to that relationship with God. And yet, like her having to learn sounds, understand what they were, I think we need to learn more fully what it means to be loved by God. 
and to live more fully into that relationship that has been restored for us. So, in this New Year's series that we're calling Imagine, we want to imagine what our lives, both individually as followers of Jesus, what life together in this place called Applewood, where numbers of individual believers come together, what that life might look like if we really begin to to live out intentionally those things that we say we believe. And so my hope is that along this journey, we'll begin to hear some things that we've known, perhaps in a new way. And this morning I want us to start with that very familiar topic, the love of God. No, we're not going to get that exhausted in 30 minutes. But we'll take a shot at it. But before we do, I want us to hear some more scripture. We heard the praise team read several passages of scripture. I want us to be reminded of some of the truths that we know. My guess is that these are texts that are very familiar. So, there's some readers scattered. Let's start with 1 John chapter 4. How many of you have heard those verses before? Yeah! Familiar verses. My guess is that over the years, many of us have have memorized those. We, We know them well, don't we? We know that God is love. We know that in His love, He sent His Son to die for our sins. We know that that has made us His children. We know these truths. But here's my suspicion. We know these truths like we know a lot of other things in our lives. Like we know that the sun is going to rise every day. It just does. We know that. We can expect that. We we know that the mountains are standing there every day, at least so far. They're, They're there every day. We know that. We we expect that. You see, I think there are a lot of things in life that we know that we don't necessarily allow to impact our consciousness on a daily basis. There are things that that have the potential to wow us, like the sun rising and setting, like the night sky, like the mountains. All of those things are part of God's amazing creation, have the potential to wow us, and sometimes they do grab our attention in a special way. But don't you think it's true that more often than not, those things that could wow us are removed from sort of our daily activity and thought life. I think the same is true of God's love. We know it. It's familiar. But I'm not convinced that the love of God wows us like it should. Not convinced that the love of God wows me like it should. 
I'm not sure that it, that it grabs me and impacts my life as it should. Imagine what our lives might be like if we really not just believed but understood in the core of our being the difference that God's love has made for us both in this life and in the life to come. Imagine. read the story of a pastor who wrote about a friend of his named Sally. She was falsely accused of shoplifting <clears throat> at a rather upscale department store. Here's what he writes. Sa- Sally is fashionable and elegant. She's, she's the epitome of sort of this aristocratic dignity. And she bought an expensive blouse at an expensive store and took it with her in the shopping bag. But unfortunately, the saleswoman had forgotten to remove the little white plastic alarm device that was attached to the blouse. And so when she went through the door, the alarm went off and the security forces pounced on her. And she was telling her friends this story. And they said, oh, my dear, how horrible that was. Did you have identification? Did you call your lawyer? Did you ask to see the president of the store? Sally answered, you know, that really wasn't a problem. I didn't have any trouble proving who I was. That wasn't the bad part. The really difficult part was the feeling of being treated like a common criminal. Pastor said, this little light went on in my head. And and so I talked with Sally about her experience and and Jesus' trial and, and crucifixion. I tried to explain to her that the feeling of shame that she felt was perhaps a clue to the meaning of the death of Jesus, who was arrested like a common criminal. He was exhibited to the public like a common criminal. He was executed like a common criminal. But I was unable to get this across because Sally does not believe herself to be guilty of anything. Wronged? Yes. Misunderstood? Yes. Undervalued? Yes. Imperfect? Perhaps. But not guilty. And certainly not sinful. Because Sally believes herself to be one of the good people. Because she could never, never commit a small sin like shoplifting. She cannot see the connection between Jesus' death as a common criminal and herself. Sally could not hear the message of the gospel. And I think, my friends, perhaps to a lesser degree, that kind of thinking impacts our understanding of the significance of God's love and the rescue effort that he has made for us in Christ. I would suggest to you that we're not going to live our lives as if God's love really means something to us, if we don't understand ourselves as guilty before a holy God, regardless of whether we've either shoplifted or not, had a bad thought or not, done any of those things that may be deemed wrong by whatever standard we are using, Until we come to the standard of the Holy One, we will not appreciate what Christ has done for us. We need to understand ourselves as guilty before a holy God who, quite frankly, has every right to punish us for our rebellion against Him. 
we need to hear those damning statements of the Apostle Paul in Romans 3. Paul says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one, Paul says, who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one, Paul says, who does good, not even one. You know, the the strength of those words gives us a clue that there is a different standard for righteousness and holiness at work. We need to hear those statements for what they are. are. They are truths. They are truths about humanity's unrighteous condition before a holy God apart from the the redemption of Jesus. So that, hearing that, we can then begin to fully understand and appreciate the salvation that God has given to us through His Son. Guilty, deserving of God's judgment, and yet God chooses because of His love, there's that word again, to place the punishment upon his son. A good response at that point would be, wow. Let's stand together. We're going to read from Romans chapter 8. Probably more familiar words to many of us. Paul has been making his case up to this point that... Humanity is lost apart from God's goodness and His grace. The Jews gave attention to the law. That didn't do them any good. The Gentiles did what they thought was right. That didn't do them any good. And he's making this vast sweeping statement for the lostness of humanity. But then he starts into Romans chapter 8 and says, but there is... Even though all of what he said in seven chapters is true, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit of life that comes from God has set people free from the law of sin and death. That is the law that is at work in all of us apart from Christ. So after going on about that for a bit, Paul then writes this to the Roman believers. Let's read together. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then can condemn? No one. Do we not have more done? It's coming. I'll read it if it's gone. Is it gone? Okay, don't go anywhere, folks. 
Uh, let's see, where did we leave off? Who shall separate us? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul writes, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, say the people of God. Wow, even better. Yes, okay, you can be seated. Oh, my brothers and sisters, we need to hear this word of the Lord. So, can we put our neighbor question up, Don? Do we have that? What do you think? Ah, here we go. Okay, so... Paul verbalized these words. He talked about judgment and, and, and who can, can bring these things against us. That sense of who can bring any charge against those whom, whom God has chosen. Paul says, no one. It is God who justifies. And then he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's probably a rhetorical question. But what I want you to do is just talk with your neighbor for a moment. What's the emotion? Yeah, you just kind of got to read into it and imagine. But what's the emotion that Paul is feeling behind that question as he writes this to the Romans? If God is for us, who can be against us? Talk about the emotion that's there. What's Paul feeling at this point? Okay, we ready? What are you you sensing here? What What are you reading that's, that's flowing under these words, emotions, thoughts. What do you think? What's your neighbor think? Yes. So, yeah. So the, those human emotions are, are real uh, as, as we live our lives out as followers of Jesus. Nat? Okay. Quite possible. Excellent. What else? Invincibility. <laughs> there is a sense of that. Yes. <laughs> and that was his experience. Okay. Good. Good. So, yeah. A, a, a pep talk. The apostle speaking to... to uh, to the church in Rome, which was uh, certainly not a comfortable place to be a Christian. Others, oh, Okay, so that maybe those who are in opposition have something to fear as they oppose God's people. I hadn't considered that, but yeah, I, that, that certainly could be a part of, of his thinking. Paul certainly had a, a boldness in that sense of in, invincibility. Any others? It, it's, it's rather packed, don't you think? But there, I, I, think you're, I think you're right on with the possibilities of, of what Paul is, is thinking. And then, of course, just that, that list of all the things that we do, in fact, or could fear, that, that could prompt fear in our lives. Paul, I think for sure, is feeling a sense of amazement and 
And I like that idea of offering a, a pep talk and encouragement to those Christians who are in Rome. Most scholars will place the writing of Romans somewhere in the late 50s. Most come with the date of 57, 58 AD. And so if you look at your history, it's not very long before the persecution of believers under the Roman Empire is just in full bore. Uh, it, is, it is a hell on earth for those who are followers of Christ. The time of this letter is, is close to when it was full-blown, and so it's already happening. People are being uh, martyred, many of them crucified, because they bear the name of Christ. It's no wonder that Paul uses that quotation from the Psalms, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. What's prompting that statement? What's prompting it is persecution as a follower of Christ living in the Roman Empire, and particularly at that point in time in Rome. And the thing, here's the thing I find amazing, and and I don't want you to miss it. Take it with you. Let it rattle around in your head. Is how Paul really downplays the pain and the suffering that he and other believers are facing or that they're going to face. And he downplays it, not because it doesn't mean anything. Shoot, it means everything. You could die. But he downplays it because he compares it to the love of God that has accomplished their salvation. What God has done for them. Life is short and life is hard and then you die. And we know that. Most of us know that. Brothers and sisters around the world know that better than we. Eternity is a long time, however, and far more significant than this brief life, though though it is precious. Many of you have been praying with Greg and Dixie for Greg's sister, Kathy. You know that she's in her final stage of battle with liver cancer. Kathy is going to depart this earth pretty soon. And I was thinking about that this week, how, how hard it is for Greg and for family to think about her being gone but I have to tell you, Kathy is a follower of Jesus. And she will soon be living out this truth that we have read this morning. Nothing can separate her from the love of God. And nothing means it does. Nothing can separate her from the love of God because she has put her faith in Jesus Christ as her Savior. She's going to leave this life and she's going to join the one who has purchased her for himself for all eternity. It's hard for us to get our minds around that. Yes! And, 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 and Dixie, here's the truth. If we could ask her after she has crossed over, Kathy, you want to come back? you would hear something like, are you nuts? But our challenge in this life is to get our our minds around that because it is an experience that obviously we haven't had or we wouldn't be sitting here. So what emotions do you have 
when you hear about the love of God for you in Christ Jesus, what does it do in you? Does it stir anything? Is it, is it kind of ho-hum? Is it, well, yeah, I've, I've heard that before. I, I know that. I think just like that little girl Josie who, though her potential for hearing was completely restored, she needed to learn certain sounds so that she could hear well in life. We need to hear certain truths about God's love so that we can live his life well, his life that is in us. Live as if it makes a difference now and, and not just someday, which is what we know. So let me share with you just uh, three quick truths this morning that, that I think are packed into this text. Take, take a note of these. Just tuck them away or even write them down if you've got something to write with because we're going to come back to these next Sunday. I want to expand a little bit and uh, we'll imagine how these truths begin to impact our daily living in, I think, some very practical kinds of ways. Here's the first one that, that I want you to, to hang on to. God's love is not a whim. God's love is not a whim, nor is it a part-time deal. God's love is not on and off. You know, we, we laugh about the daisy God. He loves me, he loves me not. Throw your daisies away. It's not a whim, it's not a part-time deal. God's love for you does not depend on his mood or upon our behavior. No! His love for us is constant and it is unaffected by circumstances. It is not an emotional spur of the moment thing. I think that this is true for all of us to some degree because we live in a broken world. It's filled with brokenness. It's filled with broken relationships. And our understanding of love is is impacted by the pain that we have experienced in broken relationships. Many have been hurt and disappointed by people who loved them. Betrayed by those who were committed to loving us. And so what results is that the very thing that we were created for becomes that which we fear and we distrust Because those who claim to love us caused us significant pain. And as a result, we are unable to really live into that love that God proclaims for us in His Son. And in fact, we don't really even know how to love others because of that brokenness. Imagine. Imagine your life And imagine our community of life together. How that could change if we really took seriously the words of Paul in this text about all that God did in bringing His love to us in His Son. We know that in all things, Paul says, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose, for those whom God foreknew, he also, pre- also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. The language that Paul uses here is a language that has the idea, human concept, of time built into it. This was not just a quick fix. From the moment that God chose to love us, whenever that was, He loved us completely at that moment. Thoroughly. Done. Never more and never less. Never more and never less. God's love for you burns like a passion. Never more, never less. Isn't that right, Rose? (laughs) I love the way Tim Keller says it. He says, here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe. You're more loved than you ever dared hope. God's love is not a whim. God's love is serious, life-changing, both now and for all of eternity, because it comes from the one who is love. Second truth, God's love is not only complete and unchanging, but God's love is extravagant. Listen again to Paul's words. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen closely. He who did not spare his own son. Implication being, he could have. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I don't have any idea what that means. But it is fabulous. I think of the spiritual blessings in Christ that Paul wrote to the Ephesians about. Earlier in this chapter, we didn't read, but earlier in Romans 8, Paul talks about our adoption as children so that we have become heirs of the Father, co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Have you ever been to a white elephant gift exchange? This is not a white elephant deal. It's really important to remember that. You know that that, that the trick in the white elephant party is you you wrap something beautifully and extravagantly and inside it is worthless. God did just the opposite. In this very ordinary, plain, unattractive, according to the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before, we wouldn't have been attracted to him by his outward appearance. God took this very ordinary, unassuming package and he Packed into it one fabulous gift. And if he did not spare his son, Paul says, how will he not also, along with him, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things. Imagine how that could change your life and our life together. If we really believe that aside from the gift of his son for our salvation, the very best is yet to come, we would all die with our forks in our hand. You've heard that joke, right? The elderly woman who had been told all of her life at church potluck, save your fork because the best is yet to come. And so she told the pastor, when I die, you make sure that that fork is in my hand when I'm laying in my casket because the best is yet to come. My friends, 
What would that do to our lives if we really believed that and really lived into that third truth? God's love is sufficient and it is victorious. It is incredibly victorious. Paul writes, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Well, what are all these things that he refers to? Well, it's a life of hardship, life of pain, life in a broken world. We are conquerors over those things because we are secure. And we are secure because God loves and continues and will never stop loving us. I just think the way that Paul ends this passage is so cool. After going through that full spectrum of possible hardships, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, and then I love this line, nor anything else in all creation, that's Paul saying, did I forget anything? There is nothing capital letters, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, I mean, I hope this doesn't sound crass, but after God has invested what he has into our salvation, he's not letting go of it. He is not losing it. He is hanging on to it for his glory, for his praise, for his adoration, for all of eternity. That's Ephesians 2 language. The one who is great in mercy and love has rescued us and has put us on display for his praise for all of eternity. Imagine how this would change our lives if we lived fearlessly, if we really lived like we believe his love has secured us now and forever. Praise team, come on up and and lead us as we respond. I read a story this week about this guy who was looking at ingredients on this package in the grocery store. And the bottle said, blueberry pomegranate, 100% juice, all natural. And then I read the ingredients. Filtered water, pear juice concentrate, apple juice concentrate, grape juice concentrate. Where was the blueberry? Where was the pomegranate? Finally, I found them. Fifth and seventh on a list of nine ingredients after mysteriously unspecified natural flavors. The enticing pictures and the clever labeling were decoys to sell a diluted blueberry pomegranate flavored product. Convincingly disguised to look like something it wasn't, I put the juice back on the shelf. Then he said, I left the store empty-handed and I wondered, what if I had an ingredients list printed on me? Would Jesus be the main ingredient? Would his love for me and my response to that love be what comes to the top of that ingredient list? Would my label accurately represent my contents? Or would I falsely project a misleading outward appearance that cleverly masked diluted ingredients? Imagine, my friends, keep imagining if we really did live out these truths that we believe. Amen.